Rock, Song of Heaven on Victory 91.5. That's kind of what we're talking about a little bit, yeah. you know, Song of Heaven. The fact that we are going to be experiencing Jesus forever and celebrating forever and just all these different things. And you're talking about something called the thousand year reign and also the millennium, which right. we can read about this in Revelation. This might be a whole new, brand new concept to somebody listening right now. Like, what is that? It is. Of course, you can obviously read about it in Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read it for you. But you can also go through the Old Testament because you're going to have to figure it out because it, it is a little hard to uh, grasp. And so the Feast of Tabernacles, that's what it represents is this thousand year reign so as we're coming through into the fall like a lot of the scriptures we we talk about do we know when when the 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 second coming is going to be well obviously we don't know it could be 100 years 500 years from now or or in 10 years but uh we do know specifically to uh the the time of the year uh when things will happen because of these fall feasts it tells us when the trumpet will sound when the judgment will come when the tribulation will be when the thousand year reign so he did show all that to us. And so we have a little bit of the pieces. So here's some of that from this uh, thousand year reign, Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Well, that's my favorite part. I mean, I know it means you mean lock, locked him up, but I like the fact that it shuts him up too <laughs> and set a seal on him so that he would not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were filled. And uh, after that, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshiped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Mm. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that is part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right, so the Feast of Tabernacles is the culmination of all the biblical holy days and holidays, if you will, and represent the final stage of his plan of salvation. After the great war of the end times and the second coming of Jesus, those who survive of all the nations will go up to Jerusalem to worship and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in Zechariah 14. Zephaniah 3 is also about the millennium. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, or Jehovah, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, let not your hands be weak. Jehovah, your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Mm. So God is singing at the Feast of Tabernacles. You're probably at the water drawing ceremony right there. So Tabernacles is life in the temporary world of sin and death where God is with you, but paradise is gone and yet still to come. So that celebration takes place in the Millennial Kingdom. There'll be a Feast of Tabernacles in the Millennium. The Feast itself is a foreshadow of that kingdom to come. We're told to gather fruits of the harvest, souls, to wave them as a thanksgiving before 
the Lord, Jehovah. There's a specific mention of palm branches in there. Now, when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding a donkey, the disciples greeted him by waving palm branches. That entry was a shadow of his second coming, and he came in on a donkey instead of a white horse, which he'll come in in Revelation 19 on. That was a triumphal entry because he was coming for souls by laying down his life. It was technically a humble entry. There'll be another entry. Jesus will enter in triumph as a king on a white horse on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Not only will a few Jewish disciples wave palm branches, but the righteous remnant of every nation. I've read it several times that after this I looked, there before me a great multitude, no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands. And just a reminder too, you're going through this whole process of these end feasts. So when you end up in white robes, you're you're at the the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the priest would make all the sacrifices and his he'd be soaked in red blood. And once the sacrifice was received, his robes would turn white. It was a miracle. So you know each part that you're in by what's happening. So just as there is an agricultural harvest at the time of Sukkot, it ends all of the harvest seasons uh, and ends the biblical holy days too. So will there be a great harvest of souls at the end of the age. So you know when you've come here to this point, you've already seen all the souls come in. The scriptures actually speak of the Feast of Tabernacles as being seven days, but it also speaks of an eighth day on which a holy convocation is to be held with sacrifices made and no traditional work done on that day in Leviticus 23. The seventh day is the great day of the feast, and at the end of the seventh day, they leave the booths and they go home, but they do come back to the temple on the eighth day, kind of like heaven or eternity, and that's what eight means. The eighth day symbolized the final judgment of the dead into either eternal life or the lake of fire. It was on the eighth day that they brought the woman caught in adultery. Mm. Now, we're supposed to rule in the millennial kingdom, if you remember that, about the sitting as judges on the, on the great white throne and everybody was in, the, in a uh, throne of judgment. The Pharisees wanted to judge but they only pretended to be righteous. They walked away when told, whoever is without sin. You notice they just walked right away because they are already uh, convicted of the sin in their life. And it's interesting here. Jesus didn't mean innocent of all sin, but that specific sin. The law said that they must be innocent of the offense of adultery to, f to throw the first stone. So there's a good chance that even those among the, the, the ones holding all these stones are those who are already breaking that very law that they were trying to convict her of. Jewish, said only, Jewish law said only a witness of a capital offense could throw the first stone. Once they left, there was no one to accuse her, no legal witness. So we have to be careful of being secondhand, of bearing the secondhand offenses of others they're hurt, but we're angry and offended. So those are the moments when we have to let those stones fall. We don't want to end up being offended for no reason. Meanwhile, the guilty lady walked away on the eighth day, told to sin no more. So our actions determine what we do on the eighth day. I hope that makes sense to you.